Hey everyone, welcome back to the Life by Taylor podcast where we learn and grow together. I just wanted to say before I begin, thank you so, so much for listening. We have reached 10,000 listens and I only launched this podcast two weeks ago. I'm saying that and it doesn't even sound like a real number. I feel like I'm, I'm dreaming, honestly. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you a million times. I have a huge smile on my face and I'm excited to get into today's episode. So for those of you that don't know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. I recently went through what I would say is my first time experiencing a very prolonged episode of depression. It was something that caught me by surprise, that I felt a lot of shame for having, doing what I do for a living. I felt like, how can I be someone who helps other people, who loves life normally, who is a life coach and a teacher and knows all of these things? How could I, of all people, be going through this? Before I even begin to tell you guys what we're going to be talking about today, I think it's so important to mention that many spiritual teachings talk about this idea of how is this happening to me and how the ego finds its way in. And that's what creates a lot of shame. This feeling of me, this is happening to me, of all people, or when a tragedy strikes people, What's most painful is that they always have this moment of, I never thought this was going to happen to me. That is something that I only realized as I started talking about this today on my Instagram story. I realized how much of a layer that added to my suffering. And there's so many layers to our pain. But being aware of how your ego is involved and how you're making it about you and this story that you're telling yourself about you going through this is definitely a very big layer that is worth paying attention to. So it doesn't matter who you are and what you do and what your life looks like. Nobody is safe from never experiencing feelings of depression and hopelessness and even suicidal thoughts, anxiety, a lot of mental health issues. As much as we talk about mental health openly, it is very hard for people to share when they are going through them. For me, I personally am very open and vulnerable and share so much of my personal life, but I had a very hard time sharing it as I was going through it because I did not see a way out. Do not underestimate how many people around you or maybe even close to you are going through something like this and just know that when you are going through it or if you're going through it right now or one day if you ever have this experience, you are absolutely not alone. It is genuinely a part of the human experience and I think that the more we learn about it, the more you know about what it really is, the less shame there is, the more space there is to treat it the right way and to get through it. I was very blessed because of my passion for learning about how to handle emotions and help other people. I was very, very blessed to know all of the things that I knew about depression before I went through it. Did it make it easier? Debatable. It was really, really hard for me. But at the same time, I think that knowledge did have power. As much as I didn't want to believe that there was a way out, I knew too much. I knew too much to really let myself believe that. Today, we're going to be reading from Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. And Brene Brown, for those of you that don't know, she is an incredible researcher that has researched shame and other human emotions and experiences for the past two decades. I think her TED Talk is the most watched TED Talk of all time. If you have not seen it, I highly recommend watching it. I remember seeing it in 12th grade and it completely changed my life. I've watched it probably 20 times since. 
Her TED Talk is titled The Power of Vulnerability. I will link it in the description here. And whether you've seen it or not, I highly recommend rewatching it because it is such an important reminder that vulnerability is the ultimate strength. So in this book, The Atlas of the Heart, Brene Brown basically decided, Brene Brown came to this understanding that there is no in-depth glossary or way for us to describe our emotions. If we don't understand how to call these feelings what they are and communicate them to other people, then we will not be able to connect with ourselves and other people on deeper levels. There are different chapters that describe different human emotions, and I was skimming through it to find what feeling I felt during my depression. And I found the chapter called Hopelessness and Despair. And that is the exact feeling, at least for me, that I was feeling is hopelessness. This lack of belief in myself, this lack of ability to see my path, and really just a feeling of being paralyzed with inaction. Feeling like I don't even know what the next step is, and I don't know how to get there, and I don't even know where I'm going. So today we're going to talk about hopelessness and despair and how to reinstill hope. Hopelessness and despair. Everything about these words is hard. First, they are both emotions and experiences that lead to feelings of desperation and can pose serious threats to our well-being. Second, it is really difficult to separate these two constructs and talk about them as different experiences, yet they are. In the despair research, the word hopelessness is often used synonymously with despair. But in the research on hopelessness, we see very few mentions of the concept despair. Let's break it down. While hope is not an emotion, hopelessness and despair are emotions. Hopelessness arises out of a combination of negative life events and negative thought patterns, particularly self-blame and the perceived inability to change our circumstances. Hopelessness stems from not being able to set realistic goals. We don't know what we want. And even if we can identify realistic goals, we can't figure out how to achieve them. If we attempt to achieve the goals, we give up when we fail. We can't tolerate disappointment, and we can't reset. Last, we don't believe in ourselves or the ability for us to achieve what we want. Hopelessness is serious. In more than 30 years of research, Aaron Beck and his colleagues have established that experiences of hopelessness are strongly and specifically related to suicidality. There are two ways to think about despair and its relationship to hopelessness. Hopelessness can apply to a specific situation, such as feeling hopeless about finishing school or feeling hopeless about our financial future or to life more generally. Despair is a sense of hopelessness about a person's entire life and future. When extreme hopelessness steps into all the corners of our lives and combines with extreme sadness, we feel despair. I once heard theologian Rob Bell define despair as the belief that tomorrow will be just like today. When we are in struggle and or experiencing pain, despair, that belief that there is no end to what we're experiencing, is a desperate and claustrophobic feeling. We can't figure a way out or through the struggle and the suffering. When I look at examples of hope practices in our research, I see commitments to new ways of thinking about what we want to achieve and why. We need to learn how to reality check our goals and the pathways to them, and how to take the shame out of having to start over many, many times when our first plan fails. I used to ask graduate students to submit a semester-long goal the second week of school. After doing this for years, I knew I could expect 90% of the goals to be unrealistic. Setting realistic goals is a skill and a prerequisite for hope. When we don't have these skills, small disappointments can grow into hopelessness and despair. If we didn't learn hope from our parents, we can still learn it as adults. But it's going to require skilled help and support, a therapist, or maybe even a coach. We all fear pain and struggle. 
but they are often necessary for growth, and more important, they don't present the level of danger that hopelessness and despair bring to us. We can't ignore hopelessness and despair in ourselves or in others. They are both reliable predictors of suicidal thoughts, suicide attempts, and completed suicide, especially when hopelessness is accompanied by emotional pain. In addition to cultivating a hope practice, getting intentional about setting goals, thinking through new pathways, and developing a strong belief in ourselves and what we can accomplish, we can also look to Martin Seligman's research on resilience, especially what people call his three Ps, personalization, permanence, and pervasiveness. Personalization. When we experience despair and hopelessness, we often believe that we are the problem and forget to think about larger issues and context. Self-blame and criticism don't lead to increased hopefulness. They're quicksand. Realizing that outside factors play a role in our struggles can give us a different lens on our experience. Permanence. This one is tough because thinking that our struggle will never end is built into the experience of despair and hopelessness. This is the tomorrow will be no different from today thinking. One way to build resilience is to start practice thinking about the temporary nature of most setbacks as a part of how we look at our adversity on a daily basis. We can't afford to wait to build this skill until we're up against something huge in our lives. Permanence can be really tough for me, so I've developed the habit of asking myself, I'm really scared, worried, overwhelmed, stressed about what's happening. Will this issue be a big deal in five minutes, five hours, five days, five months, five years? I've been doing it for about a year. I started it during the pandemic, and now I try not to sink into fear until I've asked and answered these questions. If nothing else, it pulls my thinking brain online instead of letting my fear brain run the show. Pervasiveness. Sometimes when we're struggling, we fall into the trap of believing that whatever we're up against has stained or changed every single thing in our life. Nothing good is left. I recently found myself dealing with a crisis at work that for a moment felt like the end of the world. I felt as if this thing had swallowed me whole and nothing was left. Then I got a text that said, Hey mom, do you know where my new goggles are? The first thing I thought was, ah, the three Ps. There's a part of my life, the biggest, most important part that hasn't even been touched by this. My second thought was, I need to apologize to my mom for walking past my stack of shit on the bottom of the stairs every day for 17 years. Those goggles have been on the stairs for weeks. So before I give my commentary on this, I just want to summarize those three Ps. Personalization is believing that it's all your fault and nothing else outside of you has caused what you're going through that is difficult. Permanence is the idea that this will last forever and it will never change and nothing's ever going to get better. And pervasiveness is this false belief that we think that whatever the crisis is, is affecting every single area of our life. And if we could check in with these three Ps when we are feeling these feelings of hopelessness and despair, it gives us a breath of fresh air. As I was reading this, I'm like, wow, I can't believe this book was in my house the entire time I was feeling depressed and I didn't think to open it and read this. Because knowing this would have for sure helped me. As I'm reading it, I'm like, yep, definitely thought nothing's going to change. Definitely blame myself for this entire thing. And definitely thought that whatever it was that triggered this and what I was focusing on was bleeding into all areas of my life. So how did I come out of it? I at first thought that I had a physical problem. I was sure it was a hormonal imbalance. I was sure that it was not something psychological, emotional, or mental because on the outside, it was like, everything's fine. Everything's normal. My life is great. I love what I do. I have friends. I don't have to stress about anything. I'm living at home. I don't have any financial worries. Everything's great. But after doing different tests and checking my hormones and everything and realizing it's all good, I realized, okay, hold on. 
My soul is asking for me to pay attention to something. And I love Jim Carrey's definition of depression. He says, depression is when your soul is saying, I don't want to play this character anymore. And there have been so many things in my life that I'm like, one day I'll do it. One day I'll change that. One day I'll stop smoking weed. One day I'll stop entertaining certain types of men. One day I'll start taking my health more seriously or doing this or doing that. Maybe one day I'll take my content more seriously and really invest in myself and believe in myself fully. But sometimes your soul realizes that unless I put her through enough pain, she is not going to do the necessary hard work to get what she wants in life and what is meant for her. And again, this is part of the wisdom that I had reading about people's experiences in depression. What ended up being the light that kind of started to peek through, and I'm telling you that I was going through this on and off, but really, It was mild and would get more severe for probably two months, which is a long time to feel hopeless. And I won't lie and say I didn't have suicidal thoughts. I didn't ever consider taking my life seriously, but I had those thoughts for the first time ever. I was able to watch them and observe them and have space between me and them, but definitely, definitely my mind went there. Like she said, when you feel hopeless, when you feel like everything is bad and nothing's ever going to change, naturally your mind goes to solving it and sometimes that sounds like the most realistic and practical solution and I thank God every day that I have the spiritual awareness and wisdom and tools to not let myself get too identified with my thoughts and attached to these thoughts looking back and after reading this I understand why what ended up helping me really did help me I changed my goal I was very committed to growing my business as a coach And as much as I love coaching, really I do. My biggest dream has always been to be a performer and someone who shares my voice and my messages and to create content in one form or another, to be a creative, to inspire people. From a young age, I love to be on stage, I love to perform, I love to speak to people and I was chasing a goal that wasn't for me. And as much as I want to make that money doing what I quote unquote love, I realized, Taylor, if you had full faith in yourself, you would take a step back from coaching and make a little bit less money or maybe a lot less money, actually, if I'm being really honest, and invest in what your long-term game is, what you really want to do. Start the podcast. Start making TikToks more seriously so you can get your voice out there and be who you've always dreamt of being. And this was really, really hard for me to accept. All of the fear, all of the anxiety, everything was like, how are you going to make money? And what if it doesn't work? And what are you going to tell your dad when you're not making enough? And blah, 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 blah. Like, it really felt like I'm stuck. And I did what I always do. And I started to seek things to listen to and read. And I came across a podcast episode with Gabby Bernstein. And I think, what's his name? Um, Lewis Hose, I think. And I listened to this podcast episode. And I heard her talk about how she came out of a deep depression and how she was completely trapped in addiction and ended up becoming a best-selling author and speaker and a spiritual teacher. And I said, God, thank you. You're showing me that it's possible. You're showing me that that is an essential part of me becoming what I've always wanted to be. And sometimes hearing someone else go through something does that for us. It removes that idea of it'll never get better. And that's what it did for me. It reminded me that the people that I look to and am so inspired by and the people who I want to become like have gone through experiences like this. They had to die and had to be reborn as this person that 
that just knew what they want and was willing to work for it. And here I am. I actually would love to go into the topic of antidepressants and medication in general as someone who is addicted to ADD meds and was offered antidepressants and said no to them. But I think I will leave that for tomorrow's episode because we are almost 30 minutes in and I do want to keep these short. So tune in tomorrow for that. We will talk about my decision to go off meds and to stay away from certain meds at different points in time and also when I decided to take them and what I know to be true about self-healing before medication is the only option. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. I definitely enjoyed learning and reading from this book today with you all. And if you are struggling with depression or suicidal thoughts, please, please, please reach out to me, reach out to someone, speak about it, talk to someone. And you are not alone. That is all for today. I love you all. See you tomorrow.